Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. G'day, Lewis. Hello, Daniel. How are you? Look, I'm fine. I'm pretty good. Um, a big shout-out to all the people who signed up to our newsletter at irrationalfear.com over the week. I saw about 10 of you sign up. Thanks for that. Uh, you can also chip into our Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash irrationalfear. For that, you know, $3 or $10 a month, you get uh, something extra, which is a live stream of this podcast, which is like a worse version of the podcast, but you get to see it with video. <laughs> Have you ever, Lewis? Have you ever had to? Have you ever look watch back the live stream of this podcast? Uh, uh Dan, I, I'm here the first time. You know, <laughs> I don't need to. I already know how it ends. All right, good. It's like the sixth sense. You know, once you've seen it once, you, you've seen it enough. <laughs> if you were thought about giving us Patreon this week, then don't. For this week, we would love you to chip into the Lebanese Red Cross. If you've got 10 or 20 bucks, use that from your job keeper or your job seeker to the LRC. Uh, the details about how to do that are in the show notes for this week. Recording my part of this podcast on the land of the Gadigal in the Euro Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded. Let's start the show. A rational fear contains naughty words like bricks. Canberra Fair Gum and Section 44. A rational fear recommends listening by immature audiences. Tonight, in order to stem new cases of COVID-19, New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian has urged young people in Sydney to limit socialising to 2018 levels. And Labor has criticised Scott Morrison for keeping Parliament closed, saying, if we're going to achieve nothing, we should achieve nothing together. And Peter Dutton gets $1.7 billion to protect us from the dark web. His mission is to complete the NBN so the internet goes dark for everyone. This is Irrational Fear. Irrational Fear! Welcome to Irrational Fear. I'm former Apple CEO Dan Illich and this is the show that brings comedians and experts together to tell you what you should really be scared of. On the panel, she's a multiple Green Room Award nominee. You may have seen her on Mad as Hell, Auntie Donna or a brief stint on At Home Alone Together. It's comedian Michelle Razier. Hello. The reason you're on this pod is you're also, you are very funny, but you put out a tweet earlier this week saying, now would be a good time to get me to do something uh, because if I don't do anything, I turn into dust. Does that mean you're doing other, a load of other people's podcasts as well? Yeah, now right now I'm just going through the DMs, seeing all the groups of white men who've asked me to go on that pod <laughs> and saying, yeah, I'll come on. Yeah, I'll come on the pod. Dan and I are starting a new pod for the doll scheme. <laughs> and uh, he's one of the most viscous people ever to be on television. <laughs> it is Mr. Oily himself from the Grub podcast, Greg Larson. 
Thank you for having me. I love the word viscous. That's why I created the Mr. Oily character, because you never get to say viscous. Now, Mr. Oily... Never say in conversation. For a character that has been on television in total of probably four minutes, uh, Mm. it really has captured uh, a lot of cultural credibility in the Australian landscape. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. uh, My question is, what oil do you use to be the slipperiest boy in the neighbourhood? (laughs) The premium of all oils, extra virgin olive oil, only the best. Um, And I always insist upon the best too. And... uh, uh, it's it's olive oil, and it makes my skin glow. It's really good. You, Mr. Oily uh, should do like a makeup TikTok channel, and just every episode, it's just like, and this week, more oil. <laughs> yeah, I like that. And, and each week, you think maybe he's going to do something else. Like there's a big preamble to it. The preamble gets longer and longer, but every time he just pours lots and lots of oil all over himself. Now, hey fam, it's Mr. Oily. I know the last 300 episodes were pretty oily, but we're going to mix it up this time. Yeah. It's more oil. I like it. I like it. And he's the kind of guy that when you look at him, you think, yeah, he could be a musical theatre connoisseur. You'd be right. It's Lewis Hover. <laughs> Not connoisseur. Wow. Just frequent attender and occasional singer alonger. Have any good musicals launched in 2020, Lewis? Nothing's launched in 2020. <laughs> they one thing. I thought it might be missing something. That's why I'm asking. No, um, I don't believe so. Uh, unless, you know, Disney Plus are going to release some secret musical and p- make you pay an extra $30. Um, but no, I don't I don't believe so. It's very hard to do musicals in masks. There's, there's Phantom of the Opera and that's half a mask. Yeah. The Lion King was Damn. also lots of mask work. Mm. And the, mas- the, mas- sing- the mask singer. The mask singer on Channel yeah, 10. The, ma- the mask singer is, is the whole thing is masks and singing. <laughs> the entire premise of the show. I think we're just calling it Singer Now. Yeah, yeah, because we're all in masks. (laughs) On the podcast, we'll be asking, is Jim's mowing cutting our grass? And an Australian journalist has made headlines by asking questions of the President of the United States. A little later on in the podcast, we're going to be talking to QUT Professor Dr Matthew Rimmer about how a group of people took their government to court over the lack of climate action and won. But we'll be right back after this message. Oh, hi, I'm Peter Dutton, here to share with you all a little secret. Up until today, the Australian Signals Directorate had only the ability to spy on foreign soil. But today we changed all that. The Australian Signals Directorate can now spy on you too. Uh But we're giving you a clean start, which is why today is National Delete Your Browser History Day. So, if you're a journalist tracking down some information about an irrelevant war crime, delete your browser history and investigate The Bachelor instead. Or maybe you're an environmental activist who's gotten too much information about a coal mine deal with a minister's brother. Delete your browser history and get close to what's left of nature instead. Or maybe you're a so-called comedian who has a podcast who can't even do an impression of Peter Dutton properly. (laughs) Delete your browser history and you'll be laughing. So to every Australian, especially the enemies of freedom and me, happy National Delete Your Browser History Day. Because from tomorrow, we could be deleting you. It's nice to have um, Peter Dutton's money on the podcast. It's very good. It was like he was right there in the room. (laughs) In in Peter Dutton's press conference today, or the press conference, has COVID or COVID made his voice bad? I, didn't, I feel I, like I feel like he's got proper damage done. Really, he sold that to mm. Ursula the sea witch. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. tight, you know. Everyone's tight at the minute, so he did have to sell that. Yeah. 
2020 is the year of the term unprecedented, including something I thought I'd never see in my entire life. Jim's Mowing was trending on Twitter. The boss of Jim's Mowing, Daniel Penman, otherwise known as Jim from Jim's Mowing, has offered to pay the fines of his workers who get caught in breach of Melbourne's strict lockdown laws, saying there's nothing more safe than going out and mowing lawns. He later, he later backed down saying that his franchisee should adhere to the law. Uh, Greg, is Daniel Penman right? Is there nothing more safe than going out and mowing lawns? No, I mean, already mowing lawns has danger. There's spinning blades <laughs> on its own. Already there's an element of danger. That's why mowing lawns is so fun. And if there's if you've got an electric mower, the chance of running over the cord and electrocuting yourself yeah, must be high. Exactly. There's all kinds of danger. There's stuff flying up and hitting you in the face. Rocks, you know, in, the, rocks in the shins. There's rocks in the shins. There's allergies. There's grass allergies. You start coughing and sneezing. Next thing you know, you're running over cords. You've got no foot left. You got your foot off because you've run over your foot. And but also, I just want to point out as well. I was the the most shocking thing of this to me was that Jim isn't Jim. Yes, it's called Dan, and like Dan's a it's a perfectly fine name. Dan, you could call Thank it you. Dan's mowing. There's yeah. no. Why why Jim's mowing? I don't understand. And if you've seen recent photos of Dan, he looks mm. nothing like the photo. No. He, he's yeah, clean shaven. Jim's yeah. got a beard. Yeah. Dan doesn't. It's 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 despicable. I'm he's, I'm against everything about it. He's got no hat on. He's <laughs> yeah. not, he doesn't have the mower half the time. He looks yeah. nothing like that image. I'm furious about him, a Daniel calling mm. himself a fucking Jim. That's, yeah. That's fucking Dumb. He's a fucking fraud. My friend had a friend. My mom had a friend called Naree, and she's mm. like seventy-two, and mm. she's a white lady. She's called Naree, and then she went to North Africa, and she came back, and she was suddenly Nairi. And I was furious <laughs> about that. <laughs> this is I've just had enough of this. This is not fucking on. <laughs> I mean, surely this Dan, Daniel Penderman's whole idea of being able to, mm. to, to bail out his, uh, his, his workers is a good mm. idea. Maybe he could start a whole bunch of new services, um, maybe uh, Jim's bail bonds, Jim's lawyers, <laughs> uh, Jim's super yeah. spreaders. I mean, forget yeah. the tarot cash suit and the shiny tie. Not, the new symbol of a man fighting the law is a floppy bucket hat. It's just yeah. one of those situations where uh, – the most surprising person uh, arises out of this discussion. Like, yeah. who would have thought that Jim's mowing? Like, did he just hear that there was a lot of discussions on whether or not to shut down gyms? And he was just like, mate, <laughs> shutting down gyms? We're shutting down. You can't shut down gyms. That's my whole business model. Everything I do has gym on it. Jim's dog washes. Jim's mowing. Jim's cleaning. If you shut down gyms, I got nothing. <laughs> Oh, that was good. Yeah. Uh, actually, Daniel Penman, the guy who runs Jim, who owned, founded Jim, Jim Bowen, he believes in some pretty wacky shit. Okay, so mm. uh, there's this great 2013 article from Vice magazine um, that I, uh, I've, I found on the internet. Uh, he, apparently he's got this foundation that conducts experiments on populations of rats and guinea pigs to test his theories about the rise and fall of civilizations. No! Uh, oh, my God. According to Dan, the Great War was brought about by widespread hormonal change in the Austro-Germanic people in the 1880s, which made them more aggressive and warlike. Uh, I- he's actually developing a drug <laughs> to stop it from happening again. 
Wait, uh, wait, 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 wait. Jim from Jim's Moen is developing a drug to stop yes, World yeah. War III. Yeah, G- He's G- a failed academic. Yeah. G- he wanted G- to be an academic and it didn't work out. <laughs> so he flopped on the bucket hat and he went for it. Have you not have you not seen when you go to the, all of Jim's services, Jim's eugenics? Jim's eugenics. Jim's eugenics. <laughs> Jim envisions a society where everyone's chemical and hormonal deficiencies have been corrected, making them completely functional members of society. And he quotes, he says, quite, imagine if the average person is what used to be considered extremely capable, if not a genius. We could make ancient Athens look like a stodgy town. <laughs> I, I know, I knew a guy in high school that smoked a lot of bucket bongs that sounds like <laughs> Jim from Jim's mowing right now. Like they had a lot of the same kind of theories. Now, Jim also predicts that the West will continue its economic and moral decline with China taking over the reins as a world power, followed by a few thousand years of hegemony from a united body of African states. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. All right, so he's, he's essentially doing um, kind of a speculative fiction about the yeah. future. Yeah, yeah. Sort of an L. Ron Hubbard figure. <laughs> yes, you yeah. could ju- Jim's church. You should join Jim's church. He's very oh. religious. He's a religious man. Wow. Our Jim. I, I have to say I'm really, I'm really proud that Daniel has founded Jim's Mowing uh, mm. and everyone knows him as Jim because he's, otherwise he'd give a bad name to Dan's. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Uh, Jim also abstains from sex as much as possible. He says Good. limiting sexual behaviour is a very powerful driver of temperamental change. He nods gravely. <laughs> when he ever, if he ever does um, ejaculate, it will be Jim's blowing. <laughs> he's also, by the way, he's also got ten children from several oh. wives, from a number of wives. Whoa. Uh, yeah. He's had a couple of slip-ups there, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. he's it a- does seem like he's not aware of what the word abstain means. <laughs> yeah. Irrational fear! It's about fear and it's about survival. Second fear tonight. This week, Donald Trump sat down with Axios journalist Jonathan Swan. It was a huge moment in media that birthed a thousand think pieces that all boil down to one line. Man asks Trump follow-up questions. Uh, it's a 37-minute long interview. You should go watch it. I'll put the link in the notes, but only watch it if you are of sound mind because otherwise you might not be able to handle it. There are loads of great pieces. I've got one of my favourite pieces. Let me just play one of my favourite pieces right now. We have tested more people than any other country, than all of Europe put together times two. We have tested more people than anybody ever thought of. India has 1.4 billion people. They've done 11 million tests. We've done 55, it'll be close to 60 million tests. And, you know, there are those that say, you can test too much. You do know that. Who says that? Oh, just read the manuals, read the books. Manuals? Read the books. Read the books. What books? What testing does? Sorry, wait a minute. Let me me explain. (laughs) We have tested more... That's great. Just great. That's just one of the good bits. Let me let me play one more just to give you a taste. Because we are so much better at testing than any other country in the world, we show more cases. I the the figure I look at is death, and death is going up now. Okay, no, and it's no. a thousand a day. If you look at death, yeah, it's going up look. again. Let's look. daily death. Take a look at some of these charts. I'd okay? love to. We're going to look. Let's look. And if you look at death, yeah. Sir, Started to go up again. Well, right here, the United States is lowest in 
numerous categories. Uh, we're lower than the world. Lower than the world. Lower than Europe. Here's one right here, United States. You take anyway. the number of cases. Okay. Now look, we're last, meaning we're first. Last? I don't know we what we're first in. As a well, take a look, okay. again, it's cases. Just, okay. Um, and we have cases because I mean, of the testing. The a thousand Americans are dying a day, but I understand, I understand on cases it's different. No, but you're not reporting it correctly, Jonathan. I think I am, but... If you- <laughs> I just love that. I think I am reporting it. <laughs> now, Michelle, you kind of uh, are a little bit enamoured by old Jonathan Swan over here. I love Jonathan Swan. I love that his dad is Dr. Norman Swan. I like mm. to think about him calling him daddy. That's just something <laughs> I just there with two men that are just so wonderful in the world right now. I think he's fantastic. He's such a beautiful, like... Um, he looks like such a good straight man on The Office. Like he's doing mm. such good comedy work. And yeah. He also seems like he's Trump's wife. Like he's like, <laughs> oh, okay, all right. Well, listen, I'm just, oh, for goodness. Listen, I'm just, I was watching The Bachelor in Paradise because <laughs> everything's over. And uh, <laughs> I think, you know, uh, you know, this is great, Michelle. Like, you know, you're, you're a woman. You're in love with these two men watching yeah. – Watching, uh, sorry, the, the Swans, that is. But I think guys are in love with Jonathan Swan <laughs> and, and and Norman Swan as well. I think Jonathan Swan is this case of guys want to be him. Like journalists want to be this guy who can actually stand up and ask normal questions back. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the, the, the thing that's sort of most shocking about it in a way <laughs> is how shocking it is, if that makes sense. Like, like he's asking all these follow-up questions and you start to think, like, yeah, but why doesn't everyone else do this? Yeah. Why isn't this the standard? Like he's just saying the, the manuals and the book. What <laughs> what manuals? Now, Michelle, you you brought up Norman Swan before uh, as someone who you also admired. I, I read on Jonathan Swan's Wikipedia page that sometimes Jonathan would call Norman Swan to game and workshop interviews, like he does with before he does the big ones, like with Trump. Um, could you tell there was a bit of Norman Swan? In this interview? Um, no, I didn't see, I actually didn't see any Norman Swan and that's probably because neither of them had a Glaswegian accent. <laughs> um, all that Norman Swan is to me. I just want to be clear. It's not about him like being great at health or like helping the country. It's like his accent is like the only thing I care about. So no. <laughs> This was such a huge story. I, I was in a cafe in Double Bay and I heard two separate conversations about Jonathan Swan and there were two guys next to me on one of the cafes just going beat for beat and they couldn't believe what was they, – they just couldn't believe this, the, the whole interview and they were sharing every single moment of it. It was like I was in a Bachelor recap podcast of this, of, of this interview. Why do you think this has been such a huge global moment? Well, I mean, I don't know about it globally, but certainly in Australia, it, it's so jingoistic. It's it's Crocodile Dundee 3. Like mm. for us, it's Crocodile Dundee goes to LA. We're like, yeah, all right, you, you know, no, none of you could do him, but we sent one bloody guy over, <laughs> one track, no worries, fuck off home, see you later. Back in home in time for the grand yeah. final December. Bye. You know, it's about, oh, uh, that's a follow-up question? This is a follow-up <laughs> question. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I, you know, around the world, I mean, it's gripping, and I think his face does do a lot of the work. You know, it is yeah. apart oh. from the fact that they're just good questions. The fact that you can 
he's he looks like a man trying to understand, and that is all of us for three years. <laughs> yeah, totally. And it's it's it is the most memeable interview that he's ever done. I've seen the memes already of all the different things that are on the paper that Trump's passing him and all that kind of stuff. It's been clipped up. It's been changed around so much. It's just perfect for memes. I'll collect a bunch of them and I'll chuck them in the Irrational Fear newsletter. So go to irrationalfear.com and check them out there. Irrational Fear! I did more for the black community than anybody with the possible exception of Abraham Lincoln, whether you like it or not. Your fear is rational. All right, huge people power news this week. A group of citizens just won a huge landmark case against the Irish government for failing to take adequate action on climate change. The group called Climate Case Ireland took the Irish government to court because they believed the Irish 2017 National Mitigation Plan didn't go far enough to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. To tell us when we can start suing the Australian government, it is Dr Matthew Rimmer, Professor of IP and Innovation Law at QUT. G'day, Matt. G'day. Great to talk to you. My last interview was with Norman Swan. Oh, really? Oh, oh name drop. Great. Well, wow. Shut up. <laughs> what was he? What was he? Of questions in the morning. I kind of talking to him at 6am. He oh. was like, bam, 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 bam. And was he dreamy? Uh, he sounded a lot like my wife, who is Scottish Australian. <laughs> she, her family are from Glasgow, so he sounded like a relative. Very good, like talking like a cousin. Now, tell us what's happening in Ireland. This sounds absolutely incredible. A group of citizens taking the government to court against their shitty climate change uh, plan. Uh, how did this all happen, and, wh- and where are we at with that in Australia? Well, there's been. Uh, at the moment, um, hundreds and hundreds of actions uh, taken by citizens and groups over climate change. So the report this year said that there's nearly 1,600 uh, climate litigation pieces going around the world. Uh, but of those, there have been two really big victories. So one has been in the Netherlands, in which a group called Uganda were successful through multiple levels in getting the uh, Dutch government to have to go away and take further action in relation to greenhouse gases. And that was a massive one. They, they started that campaign in 2015 and it went through the district court all the way through to The Hague by 2020. That, that's a huge, huge uh, case. And it was very people-driven, the Dutch action. So it was a kind of a crowd-sourced action. It, had, it literally had a kind of a crowd of citizens behind it. Uh, and the Dutch government were very much in shock in terms of the way in which that litigation kind of panned out. The Irish litigation has been brewing for some time. So Ireland is renowned for some of its climate activists. So Mary Robinson in particular has been doing a lot of work on climate change and human rights and has been kind of championing the cause of climate justice. And I think this action kind of picked up on some of those themes uh, and they were kind of arguing that, you know, the legislation was invalid, but they also tried to make a kind of a larger argument that there should be some sort of right to the environment recognised in relation to Irish law. So what do these two precedents mean for those other thousand actions around the world? That's a really good question. I, I think for the European Union, they're really significant and meaningful. Uh, In Australia, the environmental lawyers have been thinking long and hard about how to run climate litigation, but they haven't necessarily been able to run the same sorts of actions until recently. 
so we've, we've sometimes had to go down other avenues, use other legal theories to try to run different sorts of actions in Australia. And other jurisdictions too. I noticed there's a case for some Torres Strait Island folks who are taking Australia to court in Geneva at the United Nations Human Rights Committee. Um, that's pretty extraordinary, like to go, oh, not, not, don't even bother with the Australian government. They're too in bed with the fossil fuel companies. Let's just go to the UN in Geneva. Well, Indigenous communities are on the front lines of um, climate change. It's been really interesting to see a number of actions around the world being taken by Indigenous activists against governments over climate inaction. And uh, Client Earth are kind of representing a number of Torres Strait Island groups uh, talking about the various sorts of impacts of climate change upon their human rights and their cultural knowledge and their land and their water and really raising kind of concern. For the Irish and the Dutch case, does that make um, the path for Australians to take the government to task easier? There has been uh, one decision that's been handed down, another one that's been run that has kind of been very interested in these actions. So Australia has had one big victory in terms of climate litigation in a New South Wales case in which um, uh, Justice Preston kind of rejected our application for a Gloucester coal mine and he kind of said it was in the wrong place it was the wrong time but he cited the Uganda case when he was thinking about some of the impacts in relation to greenhouse gases and there's a really new fascinating case in Queensland. Queensland has just got a Human Rights Act uh, very recently so we now recognise a number of human rights, uh, the right to life, the right to culture including Indigenous culture uh, we don't recognise a right to the environment, um, but the Environmental Defenders Office are bringing an action on behalf of a number of kids against Clive Palmer as a Galilee mine, and they're kind of arguing that their human rights have been affected under the Queensland Act. So that's a really interesting frontal attack trying to use human rights principles to challenge um, a, a big resource development. Matthew, I don't know if this is a, a too big a question, uh, but if in a world or in the um, places where uh, the right of the environment is given to a you know to the people, what does that actually mean? Uh, well, there's been a, a number of different jurisdictions around the world that recognise a right to the environment or a right to a healthy environment. Uh, I mean, the Irish decision is a bit cagey. They said. You know, there's not an explicit right to the environment and they're a little bit sceptical about whether it was superfluous, <laughs> um, but they, they might kind of look at it again in the future, they said. So on that point, the Irish complainants didn't do very well. But there have been a number of other jurisdictions in which it's been quite helpful in terms of some of the climate litigation that's been going on. The Special Rapporteur on Human Rights and the Environment, David Boyd, a Canadian, has been a big champion of there needs to be global recognition of the right to a healthy environment. And he kind of has amazing slides in which he kind of shows some of the industrial areas of Canada, which are smack bang next to First Nations settlements. And he mm -hmm. kind of talks about the disproportionate impact that that has, has had in terms of the environment. And from an Australian perspective, you know, maybe it's interesting to think about the right to a healthy environment. I mean, I was off in Canberra uh, over the uh, summer holidays and it was absolutely choking yeah. with smoke 
was also doing a bit of field work around Noosa and off near Toowoomba while Australia was kind of burning. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's huge impacts in terms of um, pollution, in terms of public health. So there's a lot of discussion about, you know, do we need a next generation set of um, human rights, not just, you know, freedom of speech right. and liberties, but something like a right to uh, a healthy environment as a new concept. Yeah, I know in uh, New Zealand there's a, a river or two that have been given um, person status so people can defend them as if they were a person so they could uh, defend against um, development and, and, and pollution and things like that. Do you think um, if the Dukin Gorge or the Yukon Gorge was in Queensland it wouldn't have been blown up if, um, if it would have been protected by their culture? Uh, that's, a, that's a really interesting question. I mean, Australia's cultural heritage laws have been really poor for decades. Uh, I remember when I was a, a young student off in the 1990s, I was really interested in the topic. Elizabeth Everett, did, uh, who was a very kind of important judge, did a big survey and warned about these sorts of risks, about destruction of cultural heritage, unless there was law reform. And there hasn't been law reform in many different jurisdictions. You know, we've had big controversies in the past over things like the Highmarsh Island Bridge case, uh, which is very kind of disrespectful in relation to culture. Uh, but, you know, that, those are kind of really kind of fundamental issues. I, mean, I think we need much stronger protection of indigenous intellectual property and cultural heritage. Uh, and at the moment, if you kind of look at the inquiry into Rio Tinto, I mean, some of the groups like the uh, Kimberley group are busy kind of complaining that, you know, if you're marginalised and not listened to, what is the meaning of cultural heritage anyway if a company can come in and blow it up and yeah. destroy it? Matthew Rimmer, you know, you're an intellectual property professor. Is it possible we can get to wait? One way to stop Clive Palmer is to get Donald Trump to sue Clive Palmer for ripping him off, for taking his shtick. <laughs> Well, at the moment, the record company for Twisted Sister. Ah, <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Copyright infringement. Things are not going well in that case. <laughs> uh, but I, I find it a bit, it's, it's interesting. I was a big campaigner for a special defence for parody and satire under copyright law. Oh, we know who to, are you our new lawyer, <laughs> Dr. Matthew Rimmer. Thank you. Yeah. I've been championing you guys for, for decades, but Clive is busy trying to raise the defence of fair dealing for parody and satire. He's busy trying to argue that his work was satirical, and then he's also been trying to say that really Twisted Sister didn't have an original copyright work. It was based on A Christmas Carol. <laughs> So I'm not sure how he's going to go in that particular action. In your expert opinion, was it satirical? In your expert opinion? I don't think it was satirical. <laughs> it could be satirical. Clive Palmer could be a kind of Andy Kaufman character who just hasn't revealed himself yet. Well, I have to say you're you're talking with um, four people who who know satire and parody laws back to front. And, uh, <laughs> so uh, it's a relief that you also find it not funny as well. <laughs> Sometimes they, they come together. I've, I've been writing for a few years on the Yes Men who spoofed oh, the yeah. US Chamber of Commerce and pretended to be the US Chamber of Commerce and said that they had changed their position from being climate denialists to being champions of the climate. And then a very upset member of the US Chamber of Commerce said, they are not real, I'm real. <laughs> and yes, asking for their cards. Yeah. But, you know, the US Chamber of Commerce uh, lacked a sense of humour and screwed up for breach of copyright and breach of trademarks. 
unsuccessfully, the Electronic Frontier Foundation kind of defended the S-Men successfully. Yeah. Uh, but there's a whole new genre of litigation emerging over climate activists um, getting into battles, but also climate comedians such as your good selves I've been sometimes testing the limits and boundaries of the law. Yeah, I, I was actually on a lunchtime panel with the Yes Men in New York in 2008 uh, and the only reason why I was on that panel is because they thought I was a member of the Chaser. <laughs> <laughs> Afterwards, and now uh, they're suing you. Yeah, they're suing me. Well, Dr. Matthew Rimmer, thank you so much for joining us on Irrational Fear. Cheers. Thanks very much, Professor. That's about it for the podcast tonight. Now we've got our plug section here. Michelle, you got anything to plug? Oh, just follow me on Instagram. I'm trying to get free stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Greg Larson, have you got anything to plug? Uh, Yeah, check out my podcast I do with Ann Edmonds and Ben Russell called The Grub. Um, It's a sketch comedy podcast. It's yucky and it's fun. (laughs) (laughs) It is gruesome and fun. That is absolutely true. Lewis Hobber, what have you got to plug? Nothing new, Dan. You can uh, listen to me on the radio if you like, but it's I've been in the same place for a while. If you haven't decided to listen by now, you probably don't like it, and that's absolutely fine. <laughs> Radio's a dying medium. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much for listening. A big shout-out to Jacob Round, who cuts this little show together. Uh, sign up to the Irrational Fear Patreon, and also check out the link to the Lebanon uh, Red Cross donation link in the notes and uh, drop them some money too. Until next week, that is, there's always something to be scared of. Bye.